Yes, 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 yes. We back again. $6.99 per pound. Podcast. Yes, Joanne, where you at? I'm right here. Okay, good, good, <laughs> good, good. Good to hear that. Well, so let me kind of give you a breakdown, man. $6.99 per pound is a weekly podcast featuring interviews with leaders and professionals from a wide range of fields and communities, much like the diverse options found in the New York City hot food deli ran and operated by two Korean Americans and more Korean Americans, more than two actually. Shout out to Julie and Marcus. Um, so yeah, man, that's the, that's the reference, that's the punchline, that's the metaphor. If you didn't understand it, now you do. $6.99 per pound. That's where we got the yes. got the young reference from, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And your boy actually worked at a deli at one point in his life, you know, when I was 18. And I, th- I think at the time, hot food delis, uh, the buffet options were still $6.99 per pound. But I know right now it's like $7.99 or like $8.99. Some crazy wild prices. Mm-hmm. Flat iron, it's all $8.99. God damn. Shit's changing all the time. God damn, mm-hmm. that, shit, that shit sounds horrendous. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's 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 um let's kind of um I know, I know y'all don't y'all don't even want to listen to my voice. Y'all want to listen to the jovial voice of Joanne Parker. Happy. Um, yeah, well, I wanted to jump into our current obsessions and mm. talk about some of the things that we were up to this week. Yeah, yeah. Why don't, why don't you talk to us about it first? Oh, I want to talk about skincare. So, mm. shout know, out to Innisfree. <laughs> Wait, no, they're not sponsoring us yet. Please sponsor us. Um, you guys know Koreans really are obsessed with skincare, right? And we kind of became known for this, like, 10-step Yeah, you got program. gorgeous skin, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, I did not be able to say that. There has been... Why a- did my pores smell disgusting? <laughs> like, when I'm Can you like, smell your pores? Yeah, I do. Like, I kind of squeeze it sometimes, and I'm like, Ew, why Ooh. do you smell your pores? <laughs> Yo, oh it's part gosh. of my body, what? man. <laughs> what are pores? No. The but- remnants, remnants of my body, the grease that is coming out mm. of myself. Oh, my God. Hashtag life. Um, but we became known for this ridiculous 10-step program, you know, like the oil cleanser, the cleanser, the toner. I think I do, like, four mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, does your girlfriend do all of the 10? Nah. She has great skin, too. Yeah, she does, mm-hmm. but she doesn't do all of that. I do, I do, um, I do, I, I, obviously, I wash my face. Yes, thank God. So that's the foam joint situation. Yes. So I do that. Yes. And then I put in the uh, the toner, the, yes. the liquid alcoholic joint. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I put in um, this uh, greasy serum thing, mm-hmm. right? And then I put the lotion on. To lock in the moisture. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, last but not least, I usually spray a little bit of mist situation. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Is that is that enough or is, do I, am I missing a lot of steps? So, actually, these days, in Korea as well, there's been this resurgence of, um, there's this term called a makeup diet, where you go on a diet with your makeup. So, you try to use as least amount of products as possible mm. because... People are realizing that there's like 30 ingredients in like one product, right? Mm. Imagine timing that by like 10. So so they're saying that you are exhausting your skin. Mm. Like you're 
putting it under attack. You know, there's mm. like acids in there and like all these like parabens and they're saying that our skin is very powerful. It has its own cycle. Like it pushes up constantly, creates dead cells and regenerates. But like because we're coddling our skin so much with these products, like our skin is like not functioning and mm. it's be- actually becoming it can become thinner because it's just like so coddled constantly. And like, you know, if you get wrinkles when your skin is thin, right? Like if you have a thicker skin, then you don't really get as many like fine lines. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, so you think I shouldn't put on all that <laughs> shit? Like, well, I think you're okay. You bro. don't. No, you don't put as much on, like as opposed nah, to like. Nah, but I started putting that shit because I've noticed that I began wrinkles. I try to do that shit so I could prevent wrinkles. Are you telling me I'm about to get more wrinkles? Yo, what the fuck? Well, okay. Offline, I'll give you some ingredients or give you some products that I recommend. But yeah, just minimal amount of products. So. Right now, I only put like maybe sometimes toner. I wipe my face and then um, I use like a natural rosehip oil. It's like one ingredient Why basically. Why is it rosehip? Why can't it just be rose? Um, is the hip of the rose? <laughs> Why is That's it rose actually hip? a fair question. I have no idea. You have no idea. Um, but um, it depends on like the. <laughs> I'm also Korean kejar, um The season I guess um, I'm putting a little bit more oil because it's so dry these days mm. I put that on I like press it onto my skin and then I just put like one moisturizer on and that's it and if it still feels dry I just put on more moisturizer because the whole scam of these like different products is a ratio of water that's in each ingredient mm. so the serum versus a moisturizer versus you know like a toner or whatever it's really the ratio of the water what does that even mean like what it's wh- like everything is pretty much the same function yeah, yeah. Okay. and it's just like the consistency you know some products are like thicker and thinner mm. and like you there's it feels differently on your skin right so they're saying just like stick with as least many products as possible um don't tire out your skin like give it ch- a chance to regenerate and do its thing nah like i heard about that with hair hair mm-hmm. um hair products like yeah. if you shampoo your hair every day it makes your scalp weaker so as a result um you fuck it up whereas mm-hmm. like hair could actually regenerate itself so even if your hair feels like greasy mm-hmm. maybe for like a day or two mm-hmm. it's actually better for you to just leave it like that totally. because that natural grease actually allows your hair to get stronger no absolutely um, yeah um, but so by the way, man, your boy got a thick hairline. You do. He took his hat off and it's looking very luscious today. I know, today. man. It's, it's like Amazon <laughs> over here. I know, because you would always wear a hat. Before, so I'm like, are you bald? But no, no. you were like, hair is No, nah, no, nah, my hair is amazing. <laughs> but whenever, whenever I go to the barber, he's just like, yo. <laughs> I can't cut I think, through this I, shit. I think you could do whatever you want with this, man. This shit, this shit is like premium joint. Like if you go to the... <laughs> If you go to the beauty supply store, this shit is behind the counter. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. this shit should be inside cages. I know what you're saying. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, so, good resource for this for anyone who wants to, like, learn more from an expert, not me. Um, Director Pi, P.I. on YouTube. She has, like, really good videos that, like, breaks down the makeup skin, diet. Mm-hmm. She got the skin. And she's older, but she has, like, a lot of experience. Um, mm. So, check that out. But right. I wanted to ask you about your week. Yo, my week, my week's been all right. You know, like a lot of, you know, here's the thing about New York City. Um, I think it's just definitely one of the most culturally accessible cities out there. Nice. So if you want to like enjoy art, if you want to eat different types of food, 
if you want to um, go watch a Hollywood blockbuster film or an indie film or if you want to go out dancing to reggae music <laughs> or hip-hop music or electronic music, whatever. It's in your fingertips. Like, it's all accessible, you know what I mean? Especially when it comes down to, like, enjoying art, I feel like. A lot of people don't take advantage of the fact that there's a lot of galleries in New York City that you could just pop up in for free and just check out some dope shit. Like, for instance, like, I try to go to the Met as many as many times as possible throughout the year, and they have oftentimes, like, great exhibitions. So um, I don't know if when this podcast airs, that exhibition is going to be ongoing, but mm-hmm. I just went to um, the David Hockney exhibition at the Met. Now, I don't even know who this dude was. I just... <laughs> Seeing his paintings, it was pink and, you know, it had some real vibrant colors and some of them joints had naked men on them. Mm. But, yo, like, I was like, all right, you know, let me just peep this real quick. Yo, man, and I'm not going to lie to you, like, his pieces that was coming out, like, in the 70s, some real fly shit, man. Mm. A lot of fly colors, a lot of ill combinations. Um, It just makes you think, yo, here's another thing about a lot of artists. Like, people say, oh, like... You know, when you see, like, a Rothko painting or, like, you see, like, a Richard Serra's uh, metal installation, like, they'd be like, oh, shit, I could have done that. But, yeah, motherfucker, you didn't. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A lot of these artists, they basically do what we were doing as kids. Like, when we doodle and wild out, create, like, all types of weird interpretations of things. <laughs> but they just kept at it. You know what I mean? They kept at it, and then they started to... um come to terms with it on a different level and then they're able to express it in a higher plateau that's how i they're celebrated as artists um and i think for people out there that's like drawing and you know doing what they do i just think yo you should keep at it and also like yo man go check out that david hockney exhibition yo this guy's like still alive he's one of the artists that i saw um actually nah the um the previous exhibition that I went to over there, it was uh, the lady is still alive as well, uh, Ray Kawakubo, mm-hmm. who, uh, <gasps> yeah. co- who founded um, Comme des Garçons. Yeah, her exhibition was dope too. But yeah, like this guy's still alive and, you know, he's always experimenting with different platforms. Like my man is currently getting busy on the iPad, I think. Like, oh. He's drawing a lot of his paintings on the iPad, so he's trying out different mediums. So. On that note, man, um, go check out more art. You know, you go to Chelsea on any given day. You could just pop in any of these galleries. Then they're going to look at you crazy. (laughs) You know, you go to the Gagoshian or any of these joints, man. Go check out some Yaoi Kusama paintings. You know what I mean? Some whatever, whatever's, you know, like you get busy with it. For sure. Joanne look mad confused right now. <laughs> you know, I need to check these places out. I mean, Chelsea, I knew they have some. Yeah, Chelsea has like a whole roll of galleries. Um, I can't afford any of these shits when I go <laughs> in, but I still act like I like can. Like a patron from Japan. Yeah, this nah, no like... doubt. Like, I, I still be picking up all the little uh, press release information yeah, they like, got by the counter, this? you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I take flicks of it, you know, mm-hmm. just to show people that I show people. You know what I mean? And, you know, I'll I, I be standing in front of like a little painting and shit, posing myself, you yes. know? Looking all artsy. <laughs> Do it for the culture hashtag. You know what I mean? Nah, but on. I'm just trying to inspire the kids out there, man. Mm-hmm. No, it's all good. I'm so excited. I need to check that institution out. So. Thank you. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so on that note, 6.99 per pound. We out here, man. So, guys, I am so excited for today's guest. Calm down. Calm down. <laughs> I can't. 
Um, she is a woman of many talents, working as a host, writer, producer, and cat enthusiast, most important, living in New York City. You've seen her on MTV, VH1, TLC, and Bravo, as well as hosting her own esteemed podcast, Ghosted Stories, which I was uh, a guest on, so that's homework for you all. Say word. What, what is it about? <laughs> um, you have to listen to it to find out. Okay, fair right. enough. Actually, don't listen to it, Jakey. I, I, there, yeah. There's some things I don't want you oh, to okay, know. Okay, okay, okay. Sounds juicy. All right. <laughs> all right. Um, she was a writer and producer of MTV's Girl Code and is credited on other shows that you may have heard of, like TRL, VH1, you know, small shows. Um, VH1, Big Morning Buzz Live. Um, so I just want to introduce everyone to my ultimate girl crush and soon to be yours, Chelsea White to the 699 Podcast. That was the book. Can I set that introduction you just gave as like my ringtone or something? Yes. Or my outgoing voice message. Every morning, every morning. Ultimate girl crush. That was so sweet. I'm so honored to be on this podcast and I reciprocate the girl crush. Yes. And Jakey, I feel like the crush we just met, but uh-huh. I can already feel the crush yeah. Yeah, yeah, developing. Yeah. I love the name. We're all crushing on each other. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having me. No, of course. Thank you for coming through. Oh my God, you're so welcome. So I'm really excited because, as I mentioned in the beginning, I was on your podcast. Yes. And that was just fantastic. Kind of, thank you. Um, and it's just crazy that like you're a guest on our podcast now because, um, so Chelsea and I met at this uh, fellowship called the IRTS Fellowship, um, which is a foundation dedicated to um, helping college students um, get an exposure into the New York City media industry. So they pick like a group of like 10 and now they have like 30 kids from across the country to experience New York, um, what it's like to uh, work at a media company for an all expense paid summer. And uh, Chelsea was an alumni of that program. Mm. 2005. 2005. Mm. <laughs> you're not an old woman. Oh my gosh, no, you're young at heart. And I was the current <laughs> fellow. And uh, we were at a bar, not inebriated. And, Definitely not. <laughs> and um, I kind of awkwardly walk into this conversation while Chelsea is talking to a group of the students in my class and they're talking about girl code and I'm like oh my god that's like my favorite show like it's my favorite thing on MTV everything else sucks like I love how it speaks to me and Chelsea's just kind of like politely nodding and of course I find out that she's the producer and like writer on the show and I was like having a total freak out moment And Chelsea claims she doesn't remember this. So. I mean, again, it definitely She's is like, not because I, girls I was like you coming up to me every day. So <laughs> fangirling. <laughs> no, I'm so. I mean, I'm very proud of Girl Code. Shout out to Ryan Ling as the creator. He created Guy Code for, yeah. originally, and then Girl Code, and brought me on as one of the producers. Yeah, so oh, it was shout out one to our uh, homegirl Aquafina. Yes, was on oh, my oh my god, Nora Lum Aquafina. Yeah, an amazing. You have to have her on the podcast. Uh. She's incredible. She's no. about to be a big movie star yeah, in addition yeah, yeah, to all yeah, the other yeah, things yeah. she's already accomplished. Yeah, she's luckily awesome. she still responds to my text. <laughs> we'll see when that will stop. <laughs> Um, no, that was a kind of like the mutual um, friend that I knew, Jakey, and you had. Did you see that uh, d- the movie that Jakey made, Bad Rap? 
I didn't see it yet, which I feel oh, ashamed no. to say that. Yeah, all the time yeah, when she was it's making on, it. It's on Netflix. I need so, to see uh, it. Shameless plug. We need yeah. to send a selfie to her after this. Yeah, for sure. Let's do and it. And blow her mind. Yes. Let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. And then she might respond to my text again. <laughs> <laughs> we have, like, yeah, the, she she texted me happy birthday back in October, and I was like, oh, I still get happy birthday messages oh from gosh. her. She's like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah, but, she's the best. Um, but... So we kind of, I knew you in the beginning as like a producer, but then I started like following you on social media and I'm like, wait, what does this girl like not do? Like you're a stand-up comic, like you're a host, you're a writer, and you're also like an activist. And I just wanted to know, kind of going back to baby Chelsea, um, what was kind of your first love or were you always kind of um, all over the place <laughs> a little bit in terms of your passions? <laughs> well, I was definitely a little bit. I still probably am a little bit all over the place uh-huh, uh-huh. in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, when I was younger, the very first thing I ever wanted to do was be a fashion designer. Oh. I was always drawing clothes. And I think I was inspired by, is anyone a fan of Gem and the Holograms? Is that like before everyone's time? Uh-huh. It's a cartoon of the 80s. <laughs> So definitely also, I was probably too young to be watching at the time, but it's about this like girl rock group and one of them was a fashion designer. And so that was like my earliest memory of wanting to, like a career I wanted to have. And then I wanted to be a dance choreographer. Oh, wow. And then I wanted to be a psychologist um, because I've always been fascinated, I mean, by psychology. And then as we'll maybe probably talk about later, I have Tourette syndrome Mm -hmm. and OCD. So I was like, I want to help other people. And then I wanted to be a lawyer because I love public speaking. (laughs) And then my parents were like, that's great. Definitely do that. But just... Just know that it's not all like giving cool courtroom speeches. It's right, like a lot right, of paperwork. I was right. like, ugh, <laughs> you know. And then, uh, but all the while, I grew up. I was always making videos. My dad was um, he, he came to be when he retired. He was a superintendent of my school district, oh, and wow. he was the principal when I was in high school. But when we wait, f- wait, hold up. I know that sucks. I just- <laughs> <laughs> that fucking sucks. That's what everyone says. But here's. <laughs> The double, like, things that were happening. My dad, before he was the principal, was a teacher. He was the, like... He was like the AV guy slash computer teacher, and the, and oh. then he rose wait, up to he, become the principal. He, wait, how was he an and, AV guy and then became the superintendent? I know, right? He just like he worked his ass off, That's and they amazing. were like, "Oh wait, this guy can do more than just teach Oregon Trail." Oh, wow. But he, like, teaches the hell out of that. But, like, oh, so he Mr. Also White is skills. the next guest of our podcast. He, I mean, please. <laughs> George White would love to be on this podcast. But so when he was doing that, he was also one of the football coaches. Mm. And then I was, like, nerdy little goody two-shoes who there was nothing that I would have been trying to do that my dad would have frowned upon. Like, I just was never oh, in trouble because I always, child. like, was really, like, yeah, was I just, amazing. like, wanted to be good. So those two things together, I feel like if any – so, my, so my, when my dad became the principal, I feel like – he was, you know, relatively well liked because he was like whatever cool mm-hmm. like football coach and I always joke when I used to stand up, you know, tell jokes about how event like he instead of most people used to think, you know, would think like, oh, I'd be embarrassed that my dad was a principal and I would joke that my dad was probably embarrassed. I was his daughter. He's like high fiving with like the football players in the hallway uh, uh. and then he's like, Here's my daughter like playing xylophone <laughs> and marching band or whatever. Um oh, and uh, my dad's very proud of me. It definitely doesn't feel that way. But you know, he was like the right, kind right, of cool, right. well liked right, whatever. Right, right. Um well, where, so where where did you grow up? So I grew up in western Pennsylvania, a really uh-huh. small town called Clarion. And mm. we have a university and a Walmart and then that's about it. Uh, and it was about, I mean... Small town, big dreams. Exactly. Uh-huh. It's uh, the closest big city is Pittsburgh. I'm like an hour and a half from Pittsburgh. Okay. Go Steelers. Yeah, I don't yeah, know when yeah. this will come out, but they're... Uh, 
playoffs tomorrow, so <gasps> everyone likes say a little prayer. Um, yeah, so very small town. Uh, everybody knows everybody sort of thing. But so my dad being, uh, when he first started teaching that school district, being sort of like AV guy, he would always have access to like bring a camcorder home mm. so he would bring the camcorder home over the weekends and like show me we we'd like do stop motion and he'd like you know i'd like write things and he'd help me film them and oh yeah so that's kind of i think it was always this thing that was going on in the background that maybe i never thought this and every time i talk about this which i love talking about career stuff so i love this podcast already Yay. um i think I, I never thought of it maybe as a career until I was much older because it just seemed so fantastical, you right, know, right. and not to come off like not like, oh, what was me? I was so down on myself or like, I couldn't do that. But I mean, you know, you just being from a small town, it felt like who actually does this? Yeah. Like who actually like, moves to New York or LA? it was kind of like always in your yeah. subconscious. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and yeah, even amongst your friends too, I think if you're pursuing some sort of anything that's on camera or anything, you're kind of embarrassed to be like, oh, I want to be a host or like I want to be famous. Absolutely. Like, yeah. It felt shameful to me almost. It felt like right. so, yeah, self-absorbed or like mm-hmm. look at me, which is the, I mean, wrong way to feel about it. But yeah, yeah. that's definitely, it felt like, yeah, very typical. You feel insecure about it. You don't want to tell people that like, oh, I want to move to New York and be like a, you know, host and TV producer because you imagine people are thinking like, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, did, yeah. Did that contribute at all into you um, kind of starting with more the production route or was the hosting in parallel or... So I think also coming back to that sentiment of maybe feeling insecure about sharing your ultimate dreams, I always wanted... So a lot of the stuff we would film... Um, was stuff where I would make up like fake news and interview shows. I have this video, um, I think it's actually still on my website, of like me doing the cat news. Wait, I totally (laughs) saw that. And then there's a puppet, right? Like a puppet cat and you're just like, get out of (laughs) here. My little sister was trying to like crash the cat news with a puppet cat and I was like not having it. (laughs) Nothing has changed. It's my show. So how how old were you when you did this? I was like, I mean, six, seven. Oh, wow. And I wrote out like these cat news stories as if it was news for cats and my dad filmed it for me and I was like hosting the cat news. So, so you always had two obsessions ever since you were a kid. Like so this isn't absolutely. just something that just came around like after you became an adult. You always loved cats and oh you always wanted to <laughs> exactly. be in front of the camera. And I was like That's how amazing. can I combine and then which now then years later I have a web series called Show Me Your Kitty yes. which also full circle Aquafina was on and right. showed me her kitty. Right. RIP Pepper oh. passed shortly after. Oh gosh. He's in a better place. Um but yeah, I always I was always just fascinated. I just love talking to people. I love learning what makes people tick. I love talking about what inspired people to move down their career path, just like we're talking about now. I love um, you know, inspiring others, like kind of how Joanne and I originally met, mm-hmm. you know, to sort of follow their career path by sharing mine because I think about how I felt when I was younger, thinking like Oh, I can't do this, or it's only special people host things and make TV, you know, which is obviously not true. Um, I yeah, mean, she's really not out. sure yeah, if you've yeah, worked yeah. with some of, uh, some got idiots. some of the weird notes right. I've gotten from. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> Cut that part out. Yeah. No, don't. I speak truth. Um, but, you know, it's like <laughs> all of you, it's like the more you live in it, obviously you realize, oh no, like it's, of course, you have to be ready for the opportunity. And obviously, you know, talent is part of it, but it's really just believing. 
mm-hmm. you can do it, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, so, it's the chaos magic making it happen. So, so I'm curious, like, when did you make this? Tra- like, was it in college that you decided to make the transition into New York? To New York, or like, what was the turning point for you to get out of? technically the small town in western pennsylvania into the big stage get out of dodge yeah i <laughs> straight out of dodge <laughs> so i decided to go to college um at a small town near actually where i grew up grove city college uh-huh. which i mean that could be a whole other podcast it's this very very small very conservative very religious college it's called all what? of which i'm not city grove Co- city but okay. it's very very well regarded academically like okay. it's tough to get into it's you know they have great professors there but i was this you know very very liberal very not i mean i was maybe hanging on to the last threads of my catholic upbringing of like should i try to believe in this <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me but like it seems to make my mom happy you know sort right. of thing uh and then i went to Grove city college where everyone was i mean uh, i went from 2001 to 2005 so whenever so yeah the election whatever it was like right. carrie bush mm-hmm. election right. and i couldn't find i didn't have um cable in my room so i wanted to watch like the election results in a, in a lobby and all the lobbies were packed with like people watching it on fox news and i was like is no one watching it on <laughs> cnn so i finally found this one like lobby in a basement with the tv that no one was watching tv and i put on cnn Obviously, Carrie did not win. And then walking back to my room, I saw kids were burning a cardboard cutout of John Kerry on oh the quad. Oh, my God. So it just gives you a little bit of an idea of Taste where... Taste of Grove of City the, College. I mean, to be, I mean, to be fair, that was a that was a horrible election to begin with. <laughs> well, sure. Nobody even wanted to vote for Carrie to begin with. It I was mean, like, it was definitely... Uh, not, not to say that exactly. Carrie's like, like the one person... Of the better options out of the two horrible options. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're very right. But just to give you a slice of, like, I guess, the the... The theology and the yeah. political leanings yeah. right so you know it was it was um and we had to go to chapel 16 times a semester guys and girls couldn't set foot in one another's rooms other than very specific set hours on like Friday night, Saturday and Sunday. So how were they fucking? Like you weren't. You could get thrown out. So no. we had a rule. It was four feet on the floor. So a you're shoe in the college door. and you're not fucking. I oh my well, god. That's something else. We should. What, what kind of college is this? We should talk about that too. That it should was, be banned. It's 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 a human right violations. You couldn't. I mean, you okay. But bring this it is down the other, to a two. <laughs> this is the other interesting thing though too because well so yeah you couldn't you had to have your door open the width of a shoe four feet on the floor shoe in the door. So if no it, someone of the opposite sex was in there yes and so you also couldn't it was a dry campus so even if you're 21 you couldn't drink but this is one one of Wait, the reasons the fuck? yes no yes. sex and no alcohol no sex and alcohol jakey what is this you're deeply offended but we had but this is what the reason i wanted to go there i felt like an outcast in terms of like what is this my like what is going theology, on theology i guess I and like, <laughs> but i actually wanted to go there so i had gotten into penn state um, my dad was a big like had which is like uh, the complete opposite of whatever that you're describing exactly and yeah. that's what I realized so I just kind of I guess I didn't give college much thought in the in terms of I kind of wanted to go not too far from home mm. which is I guess maybe the opposite of a lot of college students I, I felt like I wanted to do a slow transition where I could still come home on the weekends if I wanted to uh, and I went to Penn State just thinking like it's like a family school sort of thing and yeah just go to Penn State that's great I had a, a roommate I like sent my deposit in and then 
I decided after all that, oh, maybe I should visit. Because I'd visited with my family for like the annual arts festival and football games, but not like seeing the student life. And so I went to stay with one of my friends who was already older and already going there. And, you know, there's like someone vomiting in the hallway in front of her door Uh. and like she's trash. And I was like, oh, I didn't think this through because I didn't drink at all. And I didn't really want to drink. So one of the reasons I ended up at Grove City being like sort of the outcast in certain ways, I... I was, quote unquote, you know, normal status quo being that I didn't drink and I didn't party. Whereas I so I pulled out of Penn State at the last minute because I didn't want that to be part of my identity. You know, and I'm sure I could have found other like minded people, but I didn't want to be like, oh, yeah, this is Chelsea. She doesn't party, you yeah. know. Right, yeah. Okay. So totally. that's so I pulled out the last minute gotcha. and I went to Grove City. Um, you know, cut to me now, like funneling wine at like lunch on a Tuesday, <laughs> but <laughs> I got over that real quick. But yeah, and got, so I didn't drink at all until a little bit my senior year of college. Uh. We'd go to this bar, like kind of in the next town over, and I would like slowly start drinking. And it was actually funny when I moved here. Um, yeah, it was like when I moved to New York and saw, I don't know, I just suddenly saw it in a different light. I was like, oh, wait, you can drink and part. I was definitely that girl that was like, sorry that you guys need to like be drunk to like be a good time I'm interesting sober you yeah know? And then I don't I was use like, oh, alcohol as a just crutch fun. Yeah, yeah exactly I yeah. was very judgmental about right, it right 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 you know sorry to all the people I judged look at me now I'm yeah. drunk right now so, um, so what was like the tipping point where like how did you pivot into New York City after you graduated from Grove uh, Grove City College Grove City College I wish I could like think of our alma mater at the top of my head um, so Basically, at Grove City, I had, I was, I went just and majored in communication because mm. it's a small school. They didn't have anything much more specific than that. You kind of had to make it up as you went along once you went there. And I, I, I guess I thought, similar to what we were talking about, oh yeah, it would be great to move to New York and work in TV. But like, let's be realistic about life. Mm. What if I just moved to Pittsburgh and worked in PR? Like, I like to write. I like, you know, I always like debate, and somehow that felt like a similar thing in my mind where, you know, taking the quote unquote side of the yeah. organization and like being persuasive and, you know, yeah. like here's yeah. why this organization is great, whatever. So that was kind of my soft plan. And then I took a TV production class my sophomore year and made this, the assignment was to make a music video. So I picked this, the Frank Sinatra song, Almost Like Being in Love. And I got all my friends. I like choreographed this thing to where it, it would start with one person being excited about a good grade they got and going all through campus and collecting more and more people as oh we gosh. danced through campus wow. until they're dancing all over campus and it culminated with this like big dance number in the in the gymnasium. And my professor, Dr. Hamilton, wherever you are now, Shout Dr. Out. Hamilton, if you're listening, he was also my advisor, and he made a big deal and was like, I've never given an A plus before and I feel like this deserves an A plus, and I was like, "Oh my god!" You'll go down in Grove City history. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else has ever gotten an A plus in Grove City and TV production? Email me. Um, but yeah, after I guess that was like the turning point for me. That very specific moment where I was like, "Maybe I'm good at the," you know, like mm. maybe yes. why wouldn't I just try to do this? And um, yeah, so after that, I just decided. But you know, there was like two. TV production classes you could take at Grove City College and then I took both of them and after that I just started doing all these independent studies um, with a really great friend of mine, uh, Danica Nedanine who's now like an Emmy award winning producer at a news station in um, Virginia and we made a movie together and we like started a TV um, station on campus and like 
created a news show that I co-hosted with uh, another friend of mine. So we just did all this cool shit on our own because we had to, because that was the only way to like create opportunities for us to like learn about the things we wanted to do. And it wasn't a strategic move, but then in the end, it ended up being this thing that was very beneficial because people were like, oh, you're so motivated. And I'm like, I guess we just just didn't have a choice. You know, yeah. if I wanted to stay at Grove City, this was how I had to like create these like learning opportunities for myself. And then full circle, mm-hmm. I decided to put all my eggs in the basket of um, the IRTS fellowship Foundation. program. Well, one of my other professors, Betsy Craig, uh, brought this IRTS fellowship application to me and she's very dramatic. She's also like the <laughs> drama teacher. And I remember her closing her door and she was like, Chelsea, this isn't for everybody. <laughs> I've only suggested this to one other student, you know, I'm like, oh my God, what's about to happen? Oh my goodness. Are you like, yeah. So she, she was like, award. I think you should apply for this. And I thought, hey, I mean, what... I was always very buttoned up, very OCD, very type A, like I have to have a plan three steps forward. But I just felt like I can't not give this a shot. And you know what? If I don't get into this fellowship and it isn't my quote unquote ticket to like New York City, mm-hmm. um, I'll figure it out. You know, I'll yeah. figure it out when the time comes, because the thing that's great about the fellowship and this is not a paid sponsorship for the IRTS program. But the thing that's amazing <laughs> But go donate, guys. Everyone go donate. <laughs> exactly. Keep this program alive. Yeah, seriously. It's an amazing program. But the thing that was great about it is because, uh, you know, my, my family wouldn't have had the money. I, I don't know how I would have just gone to New York City and lived and paid to live while I searched for a job and, and networked. And how do you network and where do you begin? And the fellowship got me there because they paid for you to live there for the summer and they gave you networking opportunities. I mean, they gave you an internship and they introduced you to a lot of different people. And so I put all my eggs in that basket. Somehow I tricked them into picking me. And then I my internship was at HBO um, wow. in their documentary <gasps> films department. And then I just... Yeah, after that, I just hustled and I slept on my friend's couch for like two or three weeks while I was looking for a job. And then I found a job and I, and I never left. That's, they can't that's get amazing. rid of me. No, and like <laughs> as like when I was part of the program, like you were like Chelsea White was kind of like the success story, like Aww. a case study that they would bring up of just like and now, now that I'm hearing about like that you were insecure as well and you kind of had a period of time where you kind of suppress your dreams and like kind of self-sabotage yourself a totally. little bit it's it's crazy to me because like to us like to the students we're like oh my god like we have to aspire to be like Chelsea like we need to like take this leap of faith like you know do the work and so it's like so cool and like encouraging and that's so sweet of yeah. you to say and yeah. even, but it doesn't go away you know I feel like even just the other night I one of my good friends with the, was over he also has a podcast he also works in TV mm-hmm. he's uh, also trying trying to foster a career like being a voiceover artist and we just were like drinking and I was getting emotional just talking about why you know I still have all these other dreams and I'm like why can't I just get to that next level of these other dreams I have and I I and he was bringing up the point we're talking about chaos magic and Mm. I'm gonna like get the definition wrong but (laughs) but it's like sort of baseline like just willing things into existence you know what I mean and words manifest exactly the more you say it the more likelihood is gonna happen and even if it doesn't happen you know at least you tried it so exactly yeah I'm just keeping yeah 
believing that you deserve it and that it's possible. And, you know, so it's still, I just feel like that never goes away. You know, I still have to remind myself to that, that thinking stall, you know, could have stopped me from getting where I am. And then to just keep manifesting things to the next level or whatever. But right. So, um, did you get into the New York City comedy circuit like right away? So, yes. Okay, so all the performing stuff, I guess I got enough confidence to sort of follow my producing dreams and my behind the camera dreams, but it, I still felt very insecure about performing and telling people that I wanted to, you know, yes. and being afraid that people would be like, oh, that's cute, you mm-hmm. know, like that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that was still another hurdle. Once I got to New York and started working there, it was still another hurdle to kind of get myself over that insecurity. And I worked at this production company that I was everyone was very lovely but it wasn't very creatively stimulating because hmm. we were working on like pharmaceutical videos and oh. you know, things like that yeah so that was what kind of finally gave me the push I was kind of very creatively dissatisfied there yeah I needed an outlet to kind of still yeah do creative things and do stuff I wanted to do yeah and stand up something I always wanted to try so I just decided to give it a shot and I went one night to an open mic and the guy who ran the open mic was very impressed that I'd showed up without a, like a slot you know yeah. I just I was like oh, I don't know I just wanted to like show up and watch and Fearless. see and he was like wow <laughs> okay you can like get up next week like that's very because you know who goes to an open mic like just to watch like yeah. they, you know it's usually just comics and they want people there like watching yeah and they're so, like fighting to get up there exactly so then I went the next week and then I just yeah, I just made it my part-time job. I just, this is back in the day of MySpace. So I'd go, I'd meet people at open mics. I'd friend them on MySpace. I'd look on their MySpace page of where they were doing shows. I'd go to that show and I'd introduce myself to the person who booked it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then I started running a show of my own um, with a couple of good friends of mine. And then that was another way to meet people and, you know, stay uh in people's top of mind in the community, you know, which is what it's all so, about. So, so regarding open mics where, I mean, doing stand-up <clears throat> in general, uh, I, I'm just kind of curious to know because uh, when you see public speakers of any sort, you know, there's a particular type of rhythm, right? There's a there's totally. a rhythm, there's a spacing, there's a, a spaces where you're supposed to leave it open for the punchline to hit. And um, comedians that are good at that, especially stand-up comedians, they're amazing they're geniuses they're jedi masters at that shit right absolutely and you know you who didn't really have that experience before you were going on um what kind of preparations did you have to have or did you have to do training that you had to do before did you bomb a lot initially like what what was it like like when people are just quiet is not reacting to your jokes crickets that's a great question and you're so right about that rhythm and finding the pacing and finding your voice and I mean, the answer to that question is just, you know, people always say, and you're still new until you're like 10 or 15 years into stand-up. You know, people will be like, oh, I've been doing stand-up about like eight years. And then, you know, the, the vet will be like, oh, you're still new. You're so it's like, yes. Yeah. Because it takes just doing it and doing it and doing it endlessly to discover your rhythm and also to discover your point of view and your specific voice. And I don't think... So I'm like trying to say three thoughts at once. I have so many thoughts about stand-up. So many. Um, so when I first started, yeah, you bomb a lot. You feel like an asshole. You feel, and I don't, I don't even know. I only did stand-up 
like really, really trying, like being out there almost every night for maybe like four or five years. Um, and then I kind of backed off and transitioned into like hosting and other things. But I never, I never felt comfortable, you know, I mean, until even doing it on stage like the other day, I don't think I've ever fully found my rhythm or my voice or found like that way. I, I felt like I never was totally in control Hmm. because every audience is so different, you know, and a joke that works and with one audience can bomb with the next. And then you have to figure out, okay, try that joke 700 times with like one changing one word changing like like you were saying uh like a the pacing or like changing where you pause or changing how you set it up um even maybe a look you get you know like you're never sure what the audience is reacting to and it's just a constant like science experiment almost to like figure out what the audience is reacting to or what maybe is tripping the joke up or like is it just a faulty premise yeah um and then though i was watching this documentary recently I think, oh my goodness, what's it called? Uh, Crying Laughing, I think is what it was. And it was, you know, stand-ups talking about just that, where you almost, every audience is so different. You could be, you know, a Jerry Seinfeld. Like, he was on the documentary talking about how you still feel, as long as he's been doing it, that, like, a little tiny bit of, like, what's going to happen? Because you don't, you know, you have to almost, it's like wrangling the audience as if they're, like, you know, a group of children almost like, hey, right here, like you have to keep their attention and you have to figure out like how to keep their attention and what they need and like what the rhythm is. But um, so, yes, a long way of saying I just bombed a ton. I would do well sometimes and try to figure out why I did well and why it was different from the last time, because it felt like I did the exact same thing and tape myself every time and listen to my set and and see, oh, actually, I thought I did the joke the same, but this night I said this word and this night I changed it to this. Does that make a difference? Mm-hmm. Um, but then that's also why stand-up was really fun and I really, in I always say like it was, it was really fun until it wasn't, you know? I felt like I was putting all this energy into it and meeting a lot of interesting people and having a lot of experiences being outside my comfort zone, which, you know, I think felt energizing and and interesting for a long time. And I felt like there's a lot of valuable things that I gained from it. But then I kind of reached this ceiling almost where my peers were getting to that. We were all kind of rising that level of like, oh, you know, so-and-so has an audition for a late night spot. Oh, shit, that's so cool. You know, these people you started with and they're, you know, kind of taking to that next level. And I started to... Plateau. But I started exactly because I started to feel like, you know, I would get a spot or I'd like promise someone I'd come to their mic or whatever the case may be. And I would have this intense anxiety about it. I'd start to dread it and I'd start to dread you almost. And this is the way in a lot of industries like I have like so and so's party this Saturday on my calendar but like it was a business meeting like I have yeah. to go to this party and I'm like I would wow. started to feel so uncomfortable and just like dreading talking to people and dreading the like hey what's up and I had like a I guess come to Jesus with myself and I was like why are you still doing this a why are you feeling this way and why now mm-hmm. and b if you are like a stand-up fun anymore or like what's the purpose of doing it and I think it was like in my mind I saw it as this platform to have an opportunity to do hosting, which yeah. is what I always really wanted to do. But how do I just start hosting? Well, I have to quote unquote be somebody first. Okay, well, I'll be Chelsea White, the comedian. Mm. And then that can be my platform. And that's how I can get my name out there. And then maybe, you know, if I just 
try, if I just throw stand up really, really hard at this wall, as hard as I can, hopefully it will ricochet over onto this other wall of hosting, which is where I really want to be. Yeah. And, and you're was, a planned person of like, I do this and then this happens and that happens. So maybe absolutely. you were like, maybe I have to go through this hard thing to get to that next step. Completely. Yeah. And it just felt like, well, this is the path. Like when I look at other people who are doing what I want to do, they came up through stand up. So I should do that. Yeah. And then I realized I don't really want the, the, you know, like I felt like, oh God, well, I'm falling behind. I should try to get a late night spot or I should try to get in this show or I should try to get, you know, an audition for this or that for Comedy Central. And then I was like, but I don't want, that's not my dream. Yeah. So why am I working? Why am I feeling inadequate and chasing after and like looking at my peers and being like, oh God, they're doing that. I should do that. And I remember you saying that like you felt guilty too, like oh, when God, you yes. would have successful moments because like your peers would be like, this isn't even Chelsea's like main passion. Like she's yes. still doing production and like she doesn't oh, yeah. deserve, like I remember you telling me that. Absolutely. And that's like stressful. Well, that was the other side of it too because at the same time I have this like, you know, demanding full-time job making TV um, and it's hard to then, you know, you can't ultimately have put the same time and energy into it as the people that are living and breathing to, to do stand up and, you know, walking dogs and doing these other things that are more flexible because they just are like all that's in on stand up. And, you know, a lot of stuff is self-imposed. Sure. Because then it's funny. That's how I felt at the time. And then in hindsight, I have people say to me like, oh my God, like I was always so jealous that like here you are like working in TV, that's what I'm trying to do. And I was like, what? Yeah. Like I saw it as this, this like um, monkey, what is yeah. it, like, monkey on my back, whatever. Yeah. The, that's like the lamest phrase I could have pulled out of my pocket. But monkey you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I saw it yeah. as like this like downfall for me almost of like I am... I'm like on email, I'm at a show and I have like a client calling me or I'm like getting emails about my job and I feel distracted and, you know, I wish I could be like these other people who have the guts to go all in on it. And meanwhile, they were looking at me and thinking like, oh my God, Chelsea has this full-time career. It's so cool. And yeah, you just never, so much of it is just in your, it's the games you play in your own mind. You know? Yeah, for sure. But. So what would you say was like kind of the breakthrough project for you that you've worked on or from a hosting perspective that people will like think Chelsea White oh the woman who did this I mean I hope it would be well definitely in terms of like TV Mm -hmm. I think for sure Girl Code was just such an awesome you know I guess platform and experience to be a part of because it was a show that people really it resonated with people and it felt it was so special to me and the other producers you know because it just allowed us to push our agenda <laughs> like you yeah. know what I mean like feminism and girl power and like putting women on TV talking about things that you don't always see yeah, you know was, women on TV like, talking like about a, yeah it was like way before me too movement you know what I mean it was kind of totally. like the Me Too movement before the Me Too movement. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was interesting because I remember this, it was super popular in, co- in college for me. Right. And th- I saw it, I saw the show and I was like, it's on MTV? Because that was like the reality show. Guy Code came out and yeah. I didn't think MTV was a channel that was for women. Yeah. And that you guys are talking about like periods and and like <laughs> dating and college and like drinking and out and from a woman's perspective with female voices and it's very clear that females are running the show. I, I you yeah, can yeah, correct me definitely. if I'm wrong, but that was such a fresh concept to me and that that's like so exciting that you were part of that shift. It was at the channel. It was awesome and it was yeah, just such a one of those serendipitous things, right? Because I mean, obviously I 
I had been working hard. I had been working way up through different, you know, shows in the ranks in TV or whatever. But it was just kind of this serendipitous thing where one of my friends from stand up. Yeah. Um, he was working as a producer on Guy Code. And then he asked um, the creator of, of Guy Code and Girl Code, hey, could I be one of the producers on Girl Code? So he ended up, he was the, the only oh. male producer amongst <laughs> other female producers. Um, and then he recommended me. And so that was kind of like a serendipitous that it just, and I just so happened, I, we were G-chatting one day, I was working at VH1 and just getting kind of, you know, felt like I'd been working on the show I was working on and the time was just, it was time for something else. And I was G-chatting him and I was like, you know, I don't think I'm going to come back after like the holiday break. I think I need to find something else. He's like, oh my God, really? He's like, I thought you're so happy there. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I was. And I think like, I'm, I'm telling, like, it's news right now, and you're the first person I'm telling. I think I'm realizing it in this moment. And he's like, oh, my God, I'm so glad that you said that because, like, your name came up. I was going to recommend you for Girl Code, but I was like, oh, no, she's she's working full time. She's really happy where she's at. And you're and, like, no. Uh, yeah, it was just this serendipitous thing that I happened to say that to him in that moment and that they, you know what I mean? And so, and that was it. So, so yeah. That's crazy. That was awesome. So can you take us to, like, those moments, like, you're on set and you're writing and maybe you're picking casts, like, you were building the show as like a team. What was that like? Absolutely. And like, you know, we were a small team and everybody was super hands on. Um, well, the first season, I mean, I'm trying to think. I was the last producer that came on in the first oh. season. So it felt like things were kind of already underway. I mean, for a couple of weeks or whatever. Yes. And I was just thrown into this like already, you know, thing that was already like churning ahead. Um, I don't think anybody, I mean, we all knew it was something different and like that we were super passionate about but you never know how things are going to be received you know so then after the first season when it was so well received I mean there's it was nothing more exciting and rewarding and so then uh the director of the was she on no I mean she was on every season guys my 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 life is like just melding together (laughs) this one it's flashing before my eyes um but Laura Murphy is a director so she would sit in and direct the talent and then direct all the sketches we have she's amazing she's like killing it out there female directors yay need more um but so then as like kind of the show grew and the cast grew and we started doing more sketches and stuff which Laura was um on set directing those it was really overwhelming for like one woman only to be directing every single interview and then being in the field. So they started, so they pulled me in as then one of the producers who would be interviewing the talent, yes. which I mean was my favorite thing ever. Cause it's just, I love, yes. it's almost like a form of hosting in a way where, you know, cause I love interviewing. And I just love, I just love chatting with people. I love like hearing what makes people tick. So it was, I mean, my favorite part of the show is just being in the chair, you know, being the person on the other side of the camera that's that's asking the talent questions. All of us producers would collectively, you know, brainstorm the topics we want to talk about, how we want to talk about them, the questions we want to ask the talent to elicit the specific, you know, answers and like stories that we want. And uh, also the the cast was so many women that I'd come up with in stand up that were friends of mine. I mean, what it was just We'd sit in the studio sometimes and just have a moment where we're like, how is this? How are we getting paid to just be like That's so you much and fun. me sitting here in this room that have been, you know, doing stand up together since 2008 and just like shooting the shit about. Yeah. Like it was really, really cool. And then um, I mean, I'm trying to think of like a fun anecdote. Aquafina, of course, came in the season. I think season three. I think she was on the last two seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that, yeah, that's how I got to knew her, to knew her, to know her. Um, yeah. 
do you, I remember seeing Aquafina on TV and being like, Asian girl. You're like, like yes. yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the girl coach really tried to be diverse as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, like, women in all sizes and shapes as well. Like, yeah. like I, I say that yeah. specifically because in guy code, like, the shorties that they always had, they were kind of like these import model looking mm, chicks. Yes. Uh-huh. Like, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. That was like straight up like the original Instagram shorties, <laughs> you know what I mean? The rich girls then, that got, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like very like girls, stereotypical. Girls got, yeah. guys want to jack off too, exactly. you know what I mean? So and then, like, when I saw, when I saw Girls enough. Code, it was like, you know, they had they they were on it too, I remember, but it was yeah, like right. a mm-hmm. very wide mix of different types of women, different totally. races, yeah. different social backgrounds, yeah. you know. So yeah. I thought that was really interesting. So just I remember that being a learning curve at the beginning where you know, and even getting into it with the network sometimes because mm-hmm. on the show we were primarily female. Yes. Um, but the, executives. At the network were all men. Men. Mm-hmm. And it's just insane to have those conversations where you're like you know, we would literally have some executives saying like, well, don't, but why doesn't anyone talk about X, Y, Z? Don't women like X, Y, Z? And you're like, no. no. <laughs> you know, you have to yeah. like, Give me an example of what an X, Y, Z is, <laughs> I though. mean, this is just something that comes to mind that's like so innocuous and like, um, it's just so silly and harmless, but just for that reason makes me laugh so hard. I remember very specifically we were doing a topic of sleepovers. And one of the executives was like, well, doesn't anyone talk about watching rom-coms? And I'm like, what? Oh, my <laughs> God. So what do you guys watch when you guys have sleepovers, just okay, hardcore well, sex? Well, like, Jake, that we don't watch. No. Jakey, I'm going to strangle you. Is that what you guys do at sleepovers? Nah, I mean, we, we don't do that at sleepovers. We just do it at our house by ourselves. Don't you guys play video games? <laughs> I'm it's, kidding. No, no, no. Actually, they do. Like, oh, a lot yeah. of dudes do. So that's the sad thing. I was like, I had no rebuttal for that. Yeah, but you're like, like, what do yeah, you guys do? Like, I do. know you guys, like, talk a lot, right? We do talk a lot. We certainly <laughs> do. We talk a lot, do right? watch rom-coms. It's, like, not that we don't watch rom-coms, but it was just such, like, the most hilarious, stereotypical. Yeah. They're like, like and also, I know this. why is that fresh or interesting? Or why do we have to say, like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. you're watching this topic and it, it bothers you or it cuts you to your core. You feel like we're being disingenuous because some girl doesn't randomly within the cut be like and we love rom-com you're like what yeah is make sure you have anything? that in there exactly. like i like rom-coms too yo. <laughs> yeah i might i might watch when harry miss sally in my sleepovers you know what i mean we don't we would play i mean we like to make up weird games at like competitions almost like before the reality like singing and dancing competitions were yeah. a thing we yeah. would do that at sleepovers like right. with my friends yeah. back in like whatever yeah. elementary school yeah. junior high we love to do stuff like that we yeah. would play video games yeah. Um, or go Mario on, Kart. go on like online dating profiles, and then switch phones, and I then mean, like set up each other. That was way before my time. Oh, in, in my time, <laughs> yeah, in like the '90s, we would do more like we'd call a radio Prank station call. to request weird oh. stuff, or we'd like you know be like. This one's dedicated, like, fr- to Joanne from, like, Carl. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> you know, and, like, hope that, like, prank Someone people out there that were listening. It. Exactly. Or, like, we'd get really excited when the pizza delivery guy came we had a crush on him. Those were, like, the lo-fi, <laughs> pre-internet, early 90s things we were doing in my sleepovers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Great. Um, <laughs> free cell phone, right, Joanne. Can you oh imagine? Oh, my gosh, no. Oh, um, <laughs> I really can't imagine that. <laughs> like, if, what are the girls, because like, we would, like, or, like, tell each other, oh, like, so what dates have you been on? Or, like, what are the most ridiculous texts that you've gotten? Right. And then we'll just, like, roast all the guys that we... Yeah, and then don't you guys always kind of have the f- common thread, like, where it isn't, like, two girls may probably got hit on by the same guy, and don't you guys, like, 
compare and contrast uh, texts. Maybe. No? maybe. Oh, wait, that has happened to me once. Okay. But but it was the other way. I'm just throwing that yeah. out there just in case if I got caught with that. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's I'm like, did, it's like <laughs> did Aquafina say anything? <laughs> it's like, fuck. About JK? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, I, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of different things that you're doing, a lot of different occupations. You have very different personas as well. Like, so how do you tend to juggle everything? It's hard and it, I mean, I feel like, again, as I'm getting older, I feel like all of a sudden, I'm 35, and I feel like great. over the past, thank you. <laughs> I feel like over the past year, I suddenly, I mean, that thing finally happened that everyone says is gonna happen, right? Like, mm. I was like, the way I never have enough energy to work out, I don't give a shit about <sighs> what I'm eating. I think about how I used to stay out till 2 a.m. doing comedy and then like get up at 5 a.m. and go for a jog. And now if I have like one thing I have to do a week after work, I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) But that's another story. So I try. It is. I think I like to multitask and I like to have a lot going on. I don't like to feel like I'm sitting around. And so I enjoy I'm almost that weird masochist that like kind of enjoys being stressed out in a weird way you know like I like feeling like yeah. I, I have a lot of comfortable in chaos I do feel kind of comfortable in chaos again it's getting less and less every day I might just like I don't even know sometimes <laughs> I fantasize about just having a data entry job it feels so like manageable it feels so like <laughs> it feels so like wouldn't you just like to know that you did your job and it's done at the end of the day Yeah, yeah you know what sure. I mean totally. Where, like, the clock creative out. stuff just bleeds into like it just is never over yeah um but yeah, it's so I work still, you know, in primarily for either MTV or VH1 behind the camera, uh, producing and writing. And then I still I have my podcast. I have a couple web series I do. I'm always I had the Facebook Live show called What, what a, a Delight, Delight with Chelsea, Chelsea White. White. Thank you, Got you. <laughs> so I did that. It's almost like a watch what happens yeah. live. <laughs> See, Jakey's freaking out because he's like, there's two of them? I can't even. (laughs) This is how I felt when you brought Donnie in and you guys, they were like going off about like 90s hip hop and I just had no idea. Oh my God. Any of them were. Now, I know what y'all talk about. I know what Facebook Live is, you know what I mean? (laughs) He's like, there's so much energy Ah, Thanks for being a fan. (sighs) But yeah, so it was kind of just a, yeah, like a, a weekly Facebook Live talk show that I would host. Um, and it it does. It gets to be a lot balancing it with working not yeah. just full time, but working in an industry that kind of never stops. You know what I mean? Like I'm always on email or always it's like ten to six, but but not really. And um I'm I'm definitely always uh living in a heightened state of anxiety trying to like slip out for three hours in the afternoon to like do a hosting gig that I booked or you know what I mean and that sort of thing Mm. and uh, working at night or coming on weekends to make up for it and just trying to make it all fit together until I win the next Powerball so you could like catch up on work I've you know I've done that like mad times like like like, actually called in sick to like do other work so you could do work that I mean well now that you said that I can't believe I never thought about it can I make a call real quick yeah (laughs) Um, (laughs) I've never listen I'm like is anyone that's can fire me going to listen to this no one's listening to this podcast (laughs) it's fine (laughs) I've actually never done that but not yet not yet definitely it's a growth city in you (laughs) (laughs) it is I'm still like a goody two shoes I still lose sleep at night we're like oh my god is so and so gonna be mad at me um yeah I've never gone that far but I mean I think I just kind of 
I've worked long enough and I think I've, you know, I've clawed my way up the ranks enough to kind of be in a position where and, and worked for maybe the, like the same networks and the same people enough where I kind of I know the rhythm and I know when's a good time to kind of, you know, well, no one's going to miss me on this day. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, or yeah. like, you know, like, oh, maybe they'll, they'll just think I was in the edit yeah, all day. They'll yeah. just think I was. That's a trick. One of my friends who's who's an actor and also works like during the day as a producer will always one day I was actually trying to track him down to just like play a practical joke on him. Like it was just a silly. We were kind of bored at work and it just became this silly thing where I got all of my friends invested on trying to figure out where this other friend was. We we're all Snapchat and I would send I was sending my other friends out. I'm like. If someone can like get a snap of him and snap it to me, you'll win something. It was just this silly thing that snowballed. And then I found out at the end of the day, everyone like everyone it was, was like, giving you guys the, were like manhunting Osama bin Laden. Like, <laughs> the point being, it turned out that he was he was lying to everyone about where he was because he was like out on audition. And I was oh. blowing up a spot, but I I just thought it was so cute. And you know, someone's like, Well, you know, He's at this edit. No, he's down at the other building. No, he's up at the other building. Nah, and I'm like, you snitched on him. I know. He's just like, Chelsea, what the hell, man? <laughs> like, I was Get trying to like, back. Oh, go to audition. Why the fuck is everyone looking at me? I was trying me. to make this extra role. <laughs> exactly. I was but trying yeah. to get oh a Law and Order episode 298, and you ruined it. Exactly. I was about to be bystander number two. <laughs> But that's definitely, I feel like, oh yeah, I'm the God. master of that. I'm the master oh. of, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I was in the edit all day. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm well, like, whatever. I, I really wanted to, like, hear you too, J.K., because I feel like you guys are kindred spirits of, like, you guys are, you know, have a lot of talent. A lot. You guys are the slasher generation of, like, yes. I'm a host slash writer slash producer. J.K., you're, like, a producer slash, like, mm. like a wedding Glad MC you know. slash, you know, you know you, <laughs> yeah. he was a hip-hop journalist, and now you know, he produced a documentary. So, like, I feel like you guys juggle, like, all these things, and it's, like, a very, like, freelancer life where I'm, I'm very much, you know, I have a job that's, like, staff and, like, whatever, so I can't even imagine, like, the tax returns or oh, God. anything. Like, can you guys just, like, talk about, like, how hard that is? Yeah, so how much of uh, whatever you do is under the table? Let's uh, let's no. get that out of the uh, way. <laughs> Tell me your sharp turn. Um, honestly, well, the thing that sucks, I wish that more of that I was like incorporated. I need to get my shit together and I yeah, could like Chelsea be incorporated. People. But I mean, even though I'm freelance in my like producer Chelsea world, yeah, I'm still a dub. I'm getting way in the weeds. I'm still a W two employee. Right. Oh. So like I still so that's pretty so still easy like on the yeah, level. Yeah, totally, and then yeah. but then my performing stuff. Yeah. I mean, but it's unfortunately most of it is still over the table enough that I have to claim it. I actually just wait. I got so can I share yes. this? Uh, exciting news with you guys exclusive because it's so relevant it's so relevant and topical so okay. just this morning yeah. I cashed a check for I sold a web series to Bravo that I'm going to be hosting oh my you're going to be hosting and they sent me the check in the mail and I was like I was like getting emotional my boyfriend was like let's frame it <laughs> that's amazing congrats oh you heard it thank here for thank you so we'll see I mean that's all the information I can no, nah, that's amazing. Oh God, that's, that's amazing. It. So, like, that was a very So it's like a web series like, that you sold. It's to a web a TV series, network. yes, for for Bravo Online, yes, that I'm that I'll be hosting. No, nah, that's amazing. But um, yeah, like um, so uh, okay, so we were talking about juggling freelance gigs, right? Right, right, so, right. Oh yes, we got sidetracked. Yeah, yeah, we, Tax we definitely tricks. got side, Yeah. Um, no, it's tricky, and I think you know in. A perfect world. I'm always trying to walk that balance of paying my rent and not getting locked into mm. a gig that's going to keep me from 
pursuing my other passions. You know what I mean? And, and it's it's a struggle. I'm lucky. You know, I'm the girl that's like, oh, my gig got extended a month. And they're like, that's good. That's I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, I need to be over. I was going to take two weeks off and, yeah. you know, like do the next series of, se- season of Show Me Your Kitty. But it's a struggle. I mean, I'm sure you know. So, so, so I think there's one thing, though, like, because um, – because I started off uh, having more so a behind the scenes role. So yeah. like I would, I was a writer. Um, that means that you're interviewing artists, right? And then I was an editor. That means that you're assigning writers to interview artists where talk about artists and their projects. And uh, I co-produced the documentary where you're doing a lot of the paperwork, making phone calls, and I've also managed artists. So oftentimes I was always in this role where I kind of had like this, I wouldn't say anxiety, but a desire to be in front of the camera or to be in front of the microphone, whereas giving the platform for other people, right? So, you know, seeing that you work as a writer, as a TV producer, but you also have this desire and a career ambition of becoming a personality and a talent yourself, like what kind of difficulties or challenges or maybe like self-doubts or anything that you would like to share with us? Oh, man. I mean, I Are you going to get emotional? I might get emotional. Well, it's tar- it, it is challenging because you'd think... But I've also... I mean, I feel like it's worked out for other people. So this is just my personal experience. I feel like being behind the scenes you might think or people might think well that's kind of like the way in like you get behind the scenes and then someday the opportunity just comes to where they're like well Chelsea why don't you just jump in front of the camera yeah but my personal experience has been dramatically the opposite I feel like if I am introduced to like an executive or someone who you know to give me a job as a producer like this is Chelsea White she's an awesome writer and producer end game like I am in that box and the lid is like sealed airtight and yep. like there's a lock on it yep. that I can never get out of that box and then for you're that gonna person. get you're gonna get young Joanne's coming up to you is like yo you're the producer <laughs> <laughs> give me an opportunity <laughs> or like young artist is gonna <laughs> be like why don't you manage me and I'm like no motherfucker I'm trying to manage trying myself. To myself get the fuck away you know yes. what I mean? One million percent, a yeah. hundred million percent. I mean, how many women have come up to me and be like, "I should be on Girl Code." I'm like, "Bitch, me too." <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, you know. And it's like, it's like, nah, nah, nah. You and me both. Me, <laughs> me, first. me first. You maybe later. <laughs> you know what I mean? Real but talk. But it is, and at that same, so in absolutely, like in a way, as rewarding and awesome it was to work behind the scenes on Girl Code, and is something I'm equally passionate about and love. Hundred percent. There are moments where I'm like, "Damn! Like, what if, what if that co- comedian friend of mine would have introduced me to my boss as like, this is Chelsea. She's such an awesome like comedian and personality. You know what I mean? But it's just, it's tricky. And I think I am in a. I mean, it's a story of my life. Just being, I, I'm confused as to why more people don't see like, oh my god, Chelsea, you can be on both sides of the camera, that's an asset. But I feel like people, at least in my personal experience, have viewed it as like this threatening, like, you know, whatever, Scarlet A on my chest of like, oh, well, I can't hire you. It's almost like I imagine they're concerned if they hire me to be behind the scenes, is it just like, but really I'm trying to get in front of the scenes and I'm not like, no. I mean, I also have have integrity, so I'm going to do a great job of whatever I'm doing. Right. Or have you ever felt like, 
some of your talent friends, like that they feel a little protective about you trying to get into technically their mm. realm as oh, well. Oh, that's interesting. Have you ever felt that? I think I feel I I have that's really interesting. I don't know if I felt that as much as I guess. Where they were like, you know, like subliminally, but not directly say it was like, yeah, but you're great at what you do. Like you are mm. a good producer. You know what I mean? Like they would just like kind of remind you of where you are. Right, but you're like, now, nah, motherfucker, but I'm trying to do what Try you do. do. Yeah. You know what? Honestly, I've actually more so from that aspect of it felt the opposite where I think sometimes I'm reminded that. Um, or at least try to remind myself and have other, you know, my amazing friends try to remind you me. You just probably have better friends than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of my, my friends try to remind me, you know, they're like, but remember, and even some of my friends that either also do stand up or performing and some that don't, but they're like, don't forget, like, some of the, the women that are in the chair for Girl Code see you working, like, they got, like, this you know whatever like one off payday for doing some episodes like who knows like maybe it got them through a couple months or whatever but you're sitting in this chair full time all the time working this gig and you have this other skill that that can you know take you other places whereas like if their only skill is being the talent and they don't necessarily have like producing chops or these other sort of like assets to them like they're probably looking at you like oh I could work and I'm like that's very nice of you to say and I'm going to think of that anytime I'm in the studio but yeah. I've even had you know Make some that of my as friends a too. say exactly mm-hmm. I need to like sleep with that in my ears so I hypnotize myself you know I, I think it, the grass is always greener and I think that's anytime I've really gotten into a conversation like that with someone where I think to myself oh I wish I was in their shoes mm-hmm. I think more often than not you realize even if it's not that they you know reciprocate Ricade and like want to be in your shoes they want to be in someone else's shoes mm. like I was talking so the gig I was working on um, one of the executives who's an I mean super well known like executive that was like killing it directing sketches on this other show I feel like I want to be vague about it I don't, I don't know why he would care if I say this but just in case mm-hmm. but he's like so or well known as like this awesome like executive showrunner like killing it in that capacity and meanwhile he's like enjoys doing that but only want like he really wants to be directing movies yeah. so you know we're talking oh. about it. he's asking me about my aspirations and I'm telling him like oh I love producing but I'm trying to be on camera and he's like oh you know I like what I'm doing but I'm trying to be meanwhile I'm looking at him like he hasn't made and he hasn't he's so well known everyone's asking him for XYZ and he's like yeah 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 but yeah. it's like not what I I'm nah, trying to do sure. this other thing everyone's kind of trying to do nah, something else you know and everybody ba- bigger absolutely mm-hmm. and so I'm really I have like that shit this, that sounds mad weird everybody's steak looks bigger <laughs> like other <laughs> Other people's steak. You meant though. Yeah, yeah, yeah we knew yeah, you meant. What about for the vegetarians? <laughs> but I have, I have this email draft that I constantly add to, and I try to make myself look at it of like just not wallowing in these weird, you know, ways that I I personally feel like oh I'm not far enough or I'm not doing this yet or I'm falling behind in this way. I will add to this email draft just like the little ones I have, even like making a living in New York, mm-hmm. like paying rent in New York. You know, like I try to remember to not take those things for granted that like little Chelsea at Grove City would be like what like, yeah. you're doing what and yeah. you know and try mm. to yeah. keep myself in that yeah. mindset so um, I, I've been listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast have you heard of it yeah. yes and he talks about the awesome jar I don't know if you've heard of I that I know concept. tell me about the awesome so, jar so you know he's known to be this very type A driven you know like 
always feeling like there's a higher mountain to climb kind of person. And he said his ex-girlfriend, like they had a good relationship. And one of the things that he's kept from that relationship is that um, his girlfriend made him an awesome jar. So it's like, write down all the things that you're proud of. And like all the projects that you've done that you were like, wow, I was like really proud of myself. I did that, like write it and then put it in the jar. And every time you feel that way, like get one out of the jar and open it up to be like, yeah, I did that. Because it's so easy to forget like all the amazing things yeah, that like, you've done. I had a four totally. pack once in my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just to remind yourself. Dot, dot, dot. Oh man, I'm dead ass starving right now. I don't know what to eat. Just boil up some noodles. Nah, nah, like, yo, my face is gonna be bloated like a basketball if I consume all that ramen preservatives, you know? And I don't really bang with artificial flavorings either. Well, why don't you try Nam's? It's wholesome Asian soups for busy individuals. That really sounds like a statement that was really written by the company. And, it, <laughs> and um, if it's a brand that don't really know much about my culture, man, I'm not really trying to buy into it, man. How can I trust it? No, no, Nam's is started by Kat a chef recipe designer, and Tony, who are both Taiwanese-Americans that set out to provide us consumers with tasty, transparent, and accessible Asian recipes. Their mission is to be America's most trusted modern Asian food. Oh, say word. Let me draw some extra gems on you. They make delicious Asian noodle soups without using yeah. MSG or preservatives. Then the broth is placed in a BPA-free container, custom-engineered for chilling. The frozen soup gets delivered to you, and all you have to do is boil or heat it in a pot for about eight minutes, and voila, you have a bowl of bliss for you to consume. Uh, okay, okay. Yo, this sounds pretty exceptional. Mm -hmm. You know, my kitchen always has mad situations going on. This I sounds bet. like something that I don't really need to dice or grill. Plus, like, I'm not a big fan of dishwashing either, you know? Yep, and you get on the program now, you can get a 10% discount. It seems like you always know a discount code, yo. Punch in NOM699, N-O-M-Z 699, before you put in an order for that 10% discount. I bet. Say less. About to try this out and put on some other lost ones onto this. Okay, just saying. Eat real food. And I know that amongst all of these things that you do, like you are also like an advocate um, for, you mentioned you have Tourette's and then you have OCD. And I, I remember seeing you in interviews talking about how and no matter what I pursued, I wanted to be able to shed light on this topic. Could you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was diagnosed with Tourette when I was like four years old. And then a few years later with OCD, my parents had just noticed me doing little tics like um, <clears throat> squeezing my eyes shut really, really tight and squeezing like my fingers and my toes was the earliest one they saw. And also just sort of some like head motions, like kind of shaking my head or almost like twitching like my neck and my arms. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Uh, they took me to a lot of doctors to try to I was kind of like misdiagnosed with epilepsy for a while. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Which was scary for my yeah. parents because I was on this very serious like epileptic medication. And then I was getting worse. And then they realized they misdiagnosed me. And um, finally, a doctor diagnosed me with Tourette. And so I it became, I guess, such a part of my identity so early. And also, it's the only brain I've ever known. So I don't mm -hmm. know what it would be like to not have tread. It's just been something that's always, you know, interwoven with my worldview. And I think, <clears throat> you know, it's, it, it is shaped the way I view 
the world in a lot of ways and my interactions with people. I think in that um, just maybe always knowing or, or having the frame of mind that everyone's dealing with something, something, right, that like makes them feel uncomfortable or that they're embarrassed about or even just that affects how they live day to day. And as I got older and noticed people you know, maybe reacting to me in a certain way because I was making these what seemed strange movements or sounds to mm-hmm. them. You know, I think it um, it just sort of gave me, I think, shaped my empathy and my compassion, yes. right? Yeah. Because you're 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 seeing it from the other side and thinking like, okay, this person doesn't realize that I'm dealing with something. You know, how can I respond in a way that's that's like helpful and positive or I mean at the same time though not to downplay the insecurity it instilled in me in like I think it's where my sort of like people pleasing comes from I felt like maybe and maybe my comedy too you know just having to overcompensate and think like okay automatically I have to overcome this thing where in my interaction with this person I'm definitely gonna try to camouflage making a weird movement or making a weird sound and so how can I I think it's like an overcompensating. Mechanism. Yeah, you're constantly you know trying I mean? to make the other person feel comfortable. Yes. So, so, uh-huh. um, can you kind of explain for those of us that are not familiar with, you know, the symptoms or what Tourette's is exactly? Because you know, uh, from a colloquial term, like people just say, like, "Yo, like, you know, stop you, swearing." Yeah, you, do you have like, Tourette's or something? Yeah, yeah, you have Tourette's. Like, you, have, you, but we don't really know what it is. You know what I mean? And we don't really, you know, when people say, "Oh, I have OCD," I have OCD. Like they say it yeah. real passively. Like mm-hmm. that's a joke. Like yeah, yeah like totally. you know, oh, like I saw this one piece of hair on my closet. Like I have OCD. I need to get rid of it. You know what I mean? But we don't really know the severity the of, severity of what it is and exactly what it is. So especially from a medical perspective, right? Yeah. So if you could kind of just break that down for us, like what is Tourette's and what is OCD? Totally. So Tourette is actually a neurological disorder. Um, it's the they still don't know 100 percent exactly. You know, they're always doing research trying to hone in exactly like what the root cause is. But basically, it's an imbalance it has something to do with like the the dopamine levels. They think, you know, something to that extent um, causes a disruption in like the. I'm a scientist, you guys. Yeah. It's like a disruption in, you know, like... <laughs> Episode of Grey's Anatomy. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but basically, I think there's a misconception, A, that yes, uh, exactly as you said, it only has to do with like uncontrollable swearing. And that B, it's totally um, involuntary. Mm. And actually, and it's hard, every time I speak about it, I try to be careful to make sure I clarify that like this is my personal experience and Tourette is still such a misunderstood and underdiagnosed and misdiagnosed disorder because it manifests itself so differently in everybody and it's on a spectrum just like autism and you know other disorders which is also part of that like um, family of like chemical imbalances right Mm -hmm. so I'm fortunate that I kind of like in the middle you know middle to low I guess like I have it um uh not as severe as other people do. So for me personally, and a lot of my other friends who I talk to about it, uh, who have Tourette, it's 
it's like an itch where, but it's in your brain. And that itch is like making, telling me like I have to move my finger in a certain way or nod my head or sort of like whatever, move my shoulders, cross my eyes, sniff my nose, clear my throat, um, make like a high pitched noise. Even sometimes like it'll be to where I have to like bend my back in a certain way or like, um, and I can... It's not an involuntary reflex. It's the thought in my brain or like the feeling in that part of me that like I have to move it in that certain way or like make a certain noise to satisfy an itch, like to scratch that mm. itch. And so just like, a, you know, like if you have an itch on your foot and you, need, it's, to you it. need to scratch it, but you can wait. You're like, Ugh, let me just wait a few minutes until I don't want I can't take off my shoe right now or let me wait. I'm going to be sitting down in a couple of minutes, you know, and you can ignore the itch, but eventually it gets worse and worse. And you have to give in and you have to scratch it. So that's kind of what Tourette is like. I can kind of you know, stave it off or maybe do if I feel an urge to make a noise or do a motion that would be very um, disruptive in that moment, I'll I'll maybe do like just like a really like a muscle tense or something that kind of like distracts me or satisfies and the itch in another way until I can go to a place, you know, go to the bathroom or whatever, just at home after work and kind of tick out, I guess, so to speak, and mm-hmm. to do the things that would be more socially disruptive in a public situation. So you see, so the Tourette's that you have is somewhat controllable. Yes. So it's so it's like I can control it to an extent, and but then some days, especially, it's affected by if I'm tired or if I'm stressed out, um, or when other things are off balance, it's harder to control, and I don't have the strength to control it, and I give in more, and so you know you'll mm. notice me ticking more, like if I'm stressed out or if I'm sleepy, sleepy or you know whatever the case may be. But then for other people, I do who have a more severe case and who are almost constantly ticking and have much more severe ticks and much more noticeable ticks. I've heard them describe it as feeling uncontrollable, and I imagine just from knowing what I do about it and my experience with it is that as you get up the spectrum on the severity, it's like the the thought in your mind is probably it probably just that time span is shortened you know what I mean it's like where I have the thought and I can like think about or like I have the feeling that I have to tick and I can have that feeling and I can c- try to control it but I feel like for other people that's severe enough that it feels probably involuntary because the urge is that much stronger yeah. you know what I yeah. mean so huh. it's interesting and it does it is kind of a different experience for every every person um, and you also learn ways to camouflage it you know so like if I feel like I have to do roll my eyes or cross my eyes I'll kind of like brush my bangs out of the way to kind of distract you know or cover up what I'm doing with my eyes or if I have to, um, yeah, I mean, like clearing your throat is an easy one, right? Because that's like a relatively normal thing, but it'd be it annoying for people if I'm doing it a lot. Um, and then with OCD, mine manifests itself. People think of like the cleanliness stuff, which is definitely, you know, a, a symptom for a lot of people with OCD feeling being obsessed with being clean. For me, it was more obsessive thoughts about something bad happening and then I would connect them to certain rituals or certain actions that I thought would prevent a bad thing from happening Mm -hmm. and literally bad thing was that vague you know it's like I don't even know what what is the bad thing or like maybe it would be someone dying but it was just this vague like something bad will happen to my mom if I don't touch my pen to my paper three more times on the same place. I was obsessed with like multiples of threes was my big thing. So I'd have to like do the same motion multiple times, lots of times in multiples of three until it quote unquote felt right 
And mm. like, there's no other way to articulate it other That's than just, it's just like, wow. did it feel like I did it enough times? Do I feel like it satisfied my obsessive thought to where, okay, I did this, this, this amount of times, I did the ritual, now whatever bad thing isn't gonna happen. And so now I'm fortunate, both Trent and OCD can kind of wax and wane at different port- parts, times in your life. But I'm, so I'm fortunate that right now, my OCD has been waning for many years and it's much more controllable than it used to be, but then my Tourette has kind of been on the uptick. But um, at the point when it was really, really bad when I was in high school, I mean, it would take me hours to get ready for bed because I would have to just be stepping in the same part of the yeah. floor time and time again or get into bed and get out of it and get into bed and get out of bed and, you know, I'm trying, whatever the case may be, opening, closing doors. So mine was more doing repetitive rituals rather than um, the cleanliness stuff which that like snuck in sometimes but Mm. yeah yeah so that yeah I mean you talk I think you've kind of used this to because you use it in your acts as well right Mm -hmm, and like um and I know it with your work with the Tourette Association of America yes I'm a board member of the Tourette Association's um local New York City chapter nice Mm -hmm. yeah and I've seen you do stand-up like or kind of raise awareness about this syndrome through like comedy through other ways and like you wrote an article about how to you know dating with Tourette's like mm-hmm. I think yeah. it was for glam yes for glamour, glamour. Yeah. yes or written by another lovely woman whose name's name escapes me <laughs> on my behalf yeah 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 so it seems like you're really trying as no matter you are pursuing your dreams and all that stuff but you're also trying to give back and um, trying to help people feel less alone who kind of have these things yeah and, and I think exactly like you said Joanne when you uh, initially started when we started talking about this I just have always even when I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life I just knew or I hoped whatever I did I'd have be at a point where I had a platform yeah. to speak about it and you know the more you talk about something the more you normalize it and then hopefully the stigma of like oh it's the crazy swearing disease which and also not to undermine that because that is yeah a, a tick symptom. that some people have mm-hmm. about 10% ish of people with Tourette, that is one of their tics where they feel the urge to to swear or say something inappropriate or, you know, like have thoughts like that. Um, but yes, it's the vast minority. And so it is part of it and, you know, and a symptom to acknowledge, but is far from the only symptom. And, you know, I think with any sort of disorder or, you know, I think it's human nature. We just kind of even unconsciously or subconsciously link it to intelligence or, or mm. you know what I mean? Or to or to um, some sort of like socially like you can't, able to function. Exactly. Right, right. Things like people that, which is, that, right. of course, it's different. You know, things can affect people different ways. And but there's, you know, are, are many, many people with. I guess I, I'm trying to be a, a face of Tourette so that people can look at it differently and not think yeah. of it as being like weird or stupid or yeah. crazy. You know, yeah. it's like it's just another part you know, of you. interesting place that, you know, humans brains can develop. No, and, for yeah. sure. The fact that like you have multiple jobs, not just one and like a healthy relationship and like all the things like despite having this, it gives a lot of people faith of like people who are telling me that I can't have that. Like they're wrong. Right. Because right? like there's people like Chelsea who's like telling me to pursue that. So totally. that's really awesome. But yeah, thank you. For no, that's amazing. That no, because like I, I didn't before this interview, I mean, to be fair to Joanne, like I actually didn't read everything you wrote. Mm-hmm. So I was like, 
what is Tourette's? You know what I mean? Like I was kind of like taken <laughs> back. Like, wait, yeah. what is, what is uh-huh. that again? Uh-huh. Wait, isn't that? You know? And then yeah, yeah. Now um, I would have never known because like the few experiences that I've had with people with Tourette's was like in a social setting where a lot of these um, like I would say kids. mostly kids like they wouldn't know oh. how to control themselves. Like mm, for instance, yeah. I was like in an airport in Milan last summer, and it was like a. a you know, like I would say they were like Middle Eastern family, right? So this kid was obviously it was Tourette's, but like all of us weren't really sure what it was. And I guess it was an extreme case because he kept making really loud noises at an airport. So like there were some people that were like seriously concerned, oh, sure, you know, yeah. and like, it might be. Yeah, yeah, like they might think, you know, the, the worst. Otherwise, yeah. yeah and then so but then we soon realized it was like, OK, this kid have like a symptom, you know, right, but yeah. Because most people, when they experience people with Tourette's, like, they see that. Yeah. They're not going to think, like, someone like you where, you know, it's just like a normal function. Like, you're you're able to, like, just, you know, do everything that everybody else does. It's just that you have this thing that, you know, that you could actually control. You know what I mean? Right. So there was that, you know, that kid on Stranger Things? Um the kid who was the show. Oh, shit. I love Stranger Things. You know know that kid? Um, Which kid? The kid who, um who stored who hit uh, the, the talks about yeah, the yeah, upside he down has, he has some sort of interesting yeah he has some sort of a symptom yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah and then I he's like a strong advocate that. of yes. that and yep. then um, mm-hmm. because of that yeah. like yeah like he was like really pushing that agenda totally. and then I feel like even me as a minority in America like uh, you know what you said just really resonated strongly um, the more you talk about it the you know it becomes normalized yeah. so you know I kind of like champion anybody that wants to talk about stuff that you know probably mm-hmm. wasn't really shed in the mainstream light so yeah god sure. bless you for god that god bless you. chelsea white yeah. <laughs> you guys. so um from grove city um that's <laughs> shout amazing. out to grove city, <laughs> to grove city. <laughs> we're grove doing so much pr like, for grove city let god bless her <laughs> this satanist child yeah. of our school let god <laughs> yeah. guide her on the right path i know i just smote <laughs> us this morning um yeah <laughs> no but that's amazing so um, we're really happy that you came on and enlightened well, all of us. Thank you so yeah, much for no, having definitely. me. It was <laughs> Before we end off, we kind of have a certain set of rapid fire questions that we ask everyone. Do mm. you want to lead that, Jay? Yeah, so I, I guess the first question that we ask all of our guests is what's the most important relationship in your life? And it doesn't necessarily have to revolve around like being in a, and being like, you know, being in love other. or, you know, mm-hmm. like a significant lover. It could be any professional. Relationship. It could be a cat, you know, like. <laughs> well, know. obviously, of course, that's where my mind went. Yeah. I was like, I have to say Tanuki and Miranda Hobbs. Yeah, yeah. Um, Shout out to Tanuki and Miranda Hobbs. <laughs> encaged in an apartment. <laughs> they love those two rooms. God damn it. Um, well, I mean, I think, and this is probably then a cliche answer, but my parents immediately came to mind. I mean, I have them to thank for everything. Yeah. They were the people that made me feel like I could do anything and that you know any quirks from my threat to my ocd to whatever to my insane obsession with cats is like okay and makes me who i am it seems like they're they really (laughs) supported you all throughout your life like in terms of whether it was professional or academic career that you had yeah definitely yeah it's amazing and you know just taught me yeah how to be open-minded i mean anything my mom i always tell my mom like when i was little i uh, I felt like she invented feminism or, you know, I feel like she would have always so like, even when people weren't 
talking about it, you know, like it's has having such a moment now, but I feel like she at the time it felt like not I don't even say she radical knew. ideas, but she knew motherfuckers' she, times she were up. Exactly. Mm. And she would just always, you know, was saying things at the time, like literally I felt like only my mom was saying to me and 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 you know, of course now I'm like she's way ahead of her time. Definitely. Yeah. But, that's amazing. Yeah. Aww. She looked at old yeah, like original <laughs> producers of cat mix exactly. hosted by Chelsea White. <laughs> <laughs> oh exactly. my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so what about the best advice that you've ever received that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Uh, I think, well, because I was just talking about my parents, the first thing that popped in my mind was thinking back when my OCD was really bad and even like my hypochondria, my dad would always say, okay, Chelsea, like, I hear you. Is whatever you're feeling bad enough that you have to go to the hospital right now? I will take you. Otherwise, sleep it off and I still think of that but like in a broader sense yeah. of just life you know what I mean like sleep if I'm nervous yes if I'm nervous about something I literally still think of that I was probably like six or seven and just think of that as like yeah what is really assess the situation what is the worst that could happen what's really going on is it that bad is it an emergency or just sleep it off yeah sleep it off that's really <laughs> good that's awesome and do you have a personal mantra like your senior quote <laughs> I well, oh, I'm trying to think. Like, I don't. <laughs> a senior quote is a great one. Uh, I don't think we had senior quotes, but oh my gosh, what's a good mantra I have? It's okay if it's a Bible I know. verse. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Corinthian. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, under the Forever Twenty One bag. I mean, I feel like it's probably got to be known as thinking about you right now. Which sounds negative, but to me, it's like my people pleasing and my like just obsessing over, you know, either something weird I said or like, is anyone mad at me? So, you know, I'm the, I'm always the like, is anyone mad at me, girl? Like, oh. I'll be like, is someone, you know, is, was that thing I said, was that okay? Or did they take it as bad? Or was that thing I wrote in an email weird? Or, you know, am I, I remember <laughs> too much like publicity stuff on social media? And then I always bring it back to like, Chelsea, like you're literally no the is. only one thinking about yourself right now. Yeah. And that's like a very freeing thought to me. Like yeah. no one is thinking about you right now. Yeah. It's like relax. Yeah. And I remember, I thought you were going to say something that is very similar to no one is thinking about you right now was when I went to the bathroom of your apartment oh. <laughs> and I was I was prepping for Chelsea's podcast and I was so nervous. I was like, oh my God, I can't, I can't fuck this up. And I look over her toilet and then there's a cross stitching on the wall that says, whenever you get really stressed out at work, remember you're going to Die. Yes, when it, work feels overwhelming. Remember, you're going to die. And I just which is from a some e card. So shout out to whoever at some e cards wrote that. Shout out to and all I commissioned. Hallmarks. I commissioned my friend uh, to write that to on the cross stitch it for me. Yes, and I just remember there was just a wash of peace that came over me, and I was like, I am ready for anything because everyone dies. I think it's that some people are very upset by yeah. it, but to me, it's such a comforting thing because yeah. it just puts it in perspective. It's like sleep it off. No one's thinking about you. You're gonna die. Yeah. Like, I Nah, I got definitely. this. Yes. No, nah, this is definitely great. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, is there anything else that you would like to add before we wrap this up? I mean, I think I've taken enough of all of y'all's time. No, but give us a <laughs> plug, though. Give us a plug of the th- things that you're working on. Church well, announcements. Check. Oh, okay. Uh, church announcements. <laughs> I mean, I'm the Chelsea White on all social media platforms, not because I'm an asshole, but because Chelsea White was already taken. <sighs> no, you know what? When I Google Chelsea White, there were so many blonde girls that popped yeah, up. She's, she's She's like a she's like a, um, she's like a model Paris Hilton type in yeah. in uh, Europe. So, yeah, is that, is that what she was? Yeah, yeah she's she like is, a yeah. I think what do they call it. Um, pay, not 
page something girl or page they have like some term for it over there where it's like you know like an Instagram model but before, right. like a socialite like Instagram model type but I mean like before Instagram was a thing you know yeah like just like a famous so, yeah, not I to thought, be confused I thought, like, so I thought that's who we were interviewing so I was like Jakey was getting excited so yes so yes don't get me confused with Chelsea White the the model turned now she's like uh, has a, a daughter and she's a photographer and she's like really getting her life together from what I see when I stalk her sometimes but <laughs> I'm the Chelsea White the brunette one and yeah I mean everything that I'm up to is always on my website or follow me on Snapchat yeah like and snap. listen to ghosted okay. stories listen to ghosted stories so tell us about ghosted stories is it a is it like a horror podcast like I mean, is I, it mysterious sometimes like, well so it's about you know dating and relationships that so shit sounds horrible ghosted in terms yeah. of that oh. you know when someone ghosts you and they just like stop talking to you and don't tell you why they don't like break up with you normally they just stop talking to you um so that's so, like, what it's about so so from your experiences ladies like do a lot of dudes do that or is this something really a move that girls tend to have the upper hand on you should listen to the podcast you should and i won't spoil it uh-huh. it's probably more probably more guys probably more girls, guys. but we have girls who definitely talk about about yeah, they're advocates too. of ghosting. And, and it's not even just dating. Like, we've had people talk about ghosting members of their family yeah. or, or ghosting toxic friends, you know, so sort of even ghosting as a term of, like, self-preservation. So mm. we kind of run the gamut. But we do, me and my co-host Aaron are both huge, like, true crime and paranormal fans. Mm. So we do sometimes, every time we have a guest on, we'll welcome. We're like, and if you have an actual ghost story... Bring it on. Say so okay. so we do both. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, all exactly. of those. All of those. We welcome exactly. Okay. Cool. So yeah. yeah, sounds good. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, once again, another episode of Six Ninety Nine Per Pound Podcast. We thank Miss Chelsea White for joining us today. And, uh, shout out to her cats. And Miranda. Miranda Hobbs. Also, this podcast is very like OCD okay with me. Yes. Yes. Oh my god, yes! 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 That was good. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, Chelsea. Hey, yo, it's 699 per pound. Podcast.